Cameron and, and Anthony's message through this series, and I have been coming at it from this, this place of looking at the, the law of Christ-like love and submitting all of our relationships to this law of Christ-like love. Right? And so in John 13, Jesus had just stripped off his clothes, bent down, and washed the feet of all of his disciples. Then he stands up, and he's, uh, after dinner, he uh, says to them, A new command I give you, a new command, love one another as I have loved you, so, so you must love one another. And maybe some of them or some of us look at that and go, what are you talking about? Why is that a new command? I think that something like that was written in Deuteronomy or Leviticus or constantly throughout the whole Bible. How is this new? But Jesus says, after washing his disciples' feet, love as I have loved you. And so is in taking this verse in this law of Christ-like love and applying it to our relationships, whether that is our communication whether that is our friendships, whether that, whether that is our sexuality. And tonight, good news, we're talking about our relationship with money. Amen. And so it's going to be super fun. So how do we submit our relationship with money to the law of Christ-like love? And in a way, it might feel like this is distanced from relationships with people. Well, this, that's money, and this is people. They're separate. But as we're going to see tonight in our passage... That if we uh, allow the, the love of money to get its hooks in us, it not only destroys us and brings damage to us, it can pull us away from our faith in Jesus, and it has significant consequences on our relationships and on our communities. And so that is why we are spending a night talking about our relationship with money, because it is so important. Like the, the, the Bible does not shy away from this topic. And I read one article that said there are 101 illusions or blatant uh, passages about money in Proverbs alone. Right? And then we see Jesus talk about money. We see Paul talk about money. Everybody's talking about money. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 12, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right? 2,000 years ago, right? people living in the Middle East had this same heart condition that we struggle with in 2018 in Kalamazoo, Michigan, this enticement of money. And the problem is that money's not bad. Okay? We need money, we need to eat, and we need to pay our rent, and we, uh, it's okay to have a car that runs and to live in a nice house and to wear nice clothes. That is all okay. Jesus, nor any of the biblical authors, are asking us to live in voluntary poverty. But what they are very clearly warning us about is, is moving over to the dark side and tr putting our trust and our hope in our money. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to meet some people in the New Testament church of Ephesus who uh, they actually have a bunch of problems, they have, but the problem that we're going to look at tonight is that they have a love of money that is bringing division and corruption into the new kingdom community that Paul is trying to create and build there in the city of Ephesus. So 
to 1 Timothy. Put a little background first. Uh, Ephesus was a very, very important city uh, in biblical times. It was right on the, the coast, so it was a very, very important shipping place, and then a lot of the goods that would come in from Greece and Italy and beyond would come into Ephesus and ship east. So there's a lot of trade, there's a lot of money going through Ephesus. It was also a very, very large city. It was the largest city in, in that region. Some say that there was over 300,000 people that lived in Ephesus. All right, this is just a recreation of uh, the city of Ephesus. You can see the port there in the bottom left. And there's this grand thoroughfare that led from the port to this theater that would hold 25,000 people. And so they would have, I don't know, they would put, have plays there, and he, maybe Paul would go there to, to argue with the other Greek and Stoic philosophers. And so this was a, a city that was prosperous and cultural, and they were proud of it. Here is a picture of that thoroughfare. Now it was lined with hundreds and hundreds of columns that went all the way from the from the seaport all the way to the theater. On either side of those columns would have been gymnasiums and bathhouses and other fancy pants places. Like this fancy pants fancy place. Fancy Look at that one. Uh, this is the theater. Isn't that nice? 25,000 people. And then the, this was a recreation of the Temple of Diana. They worshiped Diana. So there was a lot of stuff going on in Ephesus. And this is where Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes his young friend Timothy, who's been traveling with him for a while. Paul has taught him and mentored him and, and raised him up. And he said, Timothy, it is time for you to be the pastor of your own church. How about right here in good old Ephesus? And as we read through the book of 1 Timothy, we see that Timothy was a little bit nervous about that. He wasn't quite, quite sure, right? And he's a little bit timid, and Paul tells him to be bold. There's, yes, I know there's a lot of false teachers here, and they're teaching a lot of bad stuff, but just stand up to them, be bold, you know what you're doing. And so that is kind of the background of where we are at tonight, because we're jumping towards the end of the letter in chapter 6, starting in verse 3. And Paul says this to Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise, and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Right, and so there already we see these characteristics of the old kingdom, envy and strife, malicious talk, evil <coughs> suspicions. This is all community language. You cannot do envy and strife and malicious talk by yourself. Right? You do that in community, and these things rob and destroy community. We'll come back to that. But godliness with contentment, we pick up in verse 6, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so Paul's not pulling any punches here as he confronts these false teachers about their view of money. And this passage certainly is warning against greed, it's warning against the love of money and the body of Christ, but it's not just against these false teachers, it's for anybody who is going to listen to them and start living and abiding by these false, erroneous teachings. And so let's not do that. So let's hold to sound doctrine. We're just going to move through this passage and talk about some of the things that kind of stand out and that I think are going to be beneficial for us as we ponder how to live the law of Christ-like love in relation to our finances. So he starts out, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus and to godly teaching. Throughout this letter, Paul has been calling Timothy to stand up and boldly defend the faith in Jesus Christ. Right? And so this idea of sound and instruction is incredibly important throughout the letter. And so that made me kind of want to look into it. But what does he mean? What is this idea of sound instruction? And when I looked into it, uh, a slightly more literal translation of sound instruction is completely valid. It's a great translation. But I think a little bit more literal translation of the two Greek words that are translated sound instruction can be healthy words. Right? Paul's, so Paul is saying, and this is, I think, I believe what Timothy would have heard him say, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, right, they are corrupt. That's, that comes later. They are having an unhealthy interest. There's, so there's a line between that. Somebody messed up this slideshow, Mark. <laughs> but anyway, the, the point is the same, right? That we... That, there's these teachers that are not agreeing to the healthy words of our Lord Jesus. And these would include all the things that Paul has been talking very clearly about throughout the letter. They include that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is who we place our trust in. He is our eternal hope. Right? It's the, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus that saves us, not any works of our own. It is the law of Christ-like love, though he doesn't use that language specifically in, in this letter, but this idea that we are to follow Christ and to love others like he has loved him through humility and self-sacrificing and preferring others above themselves. And so there are people in this church, there are leaders in the church that are not agreeing to these healthy words. And then later on, this just a verse later, talking about this unhealthy interest, the, uh, the, it can be also translated as sickly cravings. Mm. Right? Sickly craving. You, can, you know the bad teachers because they're ignoring the healthy words of our Lord Jesus, and they have sickly cravings for the junk food of the old kingdom. For these controversies and quarrels and envy and strife, all this junk that leads to brokenness and Division, And so here's my little translation. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited. They understand nothing. And they have a sickly craving for controversies and quarrels. Right? And so we can miss this analogy that Paul is laying out here in some of our English translations. 
In the chapter before this, in Paul's amazing encouragement to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 6, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, again calling him to teach right doctrine, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith. Right? And so there is a theme of nourishing ourselves on the good teachings of Jesus and not the sickly cravings of the old kingdom. And if, I forgot to bring my props tonight, but imagine, imagine that I had a nice green salad sitting right here. Probably something that Anthony would blend into some sort of a, a shake and, and drink all yeah. morning at church. It, but it's green, and there's kale, and there's spinach, and there's nothing processed in it, right? It's, it's, uh, there's probably some sort of a protein. Bacon, probably. That's right. I'm getting and, ideas. And so, uh, it's a, we know that this protein shake is going to nourish our bodies and give us strength to do all the, the things that, that we want to do. But me, I'm a slightly different than Pastor Anthony. I have this sickly craving. And I have this sickly craving for little Debbie snacks and, uh, and quarter pounders. It's terrible. I know, it's terrible. What's that? Well, the little Debbie snacks aren't from McDonald's, but the quarter pounders are. Yes. Oh, my Lord. I know, it's so bad. It's so bad. And I know it's bad. We have a prayer team. <laughs> it's so bad, right? But I, and I have had moments in my life, and Anthony, I believe you can attest to this, where I've eat, I've eaten real good. Yeah. Yes. Salads and yeah, that's true. I don't know non-processed foods. You know, you know things that you don't heat up in the microwave, and uh, you know things that you know that aren't fried in trans fats. Amen. And, 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 and here's the thing, right? The more healthy stuff that you eat, right? The more that you desire that healthy stuff. The more you want to eat good food, right? And the more you eat this. Little Debbie snacks and quarter pounders. Or you really want to eat little Debbie snacks and quarter pounders? They're so good. Yeah. Just, just think about them. Um, um, so, don't think about it. They're so bad. But the, I, but the point being, right, that whatever you feed yourself, you are drawn to, and it creates a momentum. Amen. Right? And so, Paul is warning the while well, he's warning Timothy and the Ephesian church to watch out for the people who are feeding on the garbage. Wow. They're feeding on this garbage, and it's not just affecting them. right? We cannot separate, well, it's just this, this food I'm eating. I ate an apple last week, and it was, you know, it's going to be great. What we consume on a daily basis affects our whole body. Amen. Right? And in the same way as when we are in spiritually, what we feed on affects our whole body. Yeah. Right? And then not just us, but we are interrelated. We are in unity with one another. And so when I am broken, I am breaking you. Wow. So watch out for those kind of people that aren't feeding on the healthy words of Jesus. They are conceited. They are not submitting themselves to the law of Christ's like love. And these people, it says in verse 5, have become so blinded, have gotten so fat on their sickly cravings that they actually think that their godliness is going to bring them financial gain. And Paul disagrees. That's just probably good. 
He says this in verse 6. He kind of comes against their hypothesis. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Right? And so the, these false teachers are using their godliness for their own financial gain. Maybe you know, they're positions of leadership at the church and they're looking forward to, to taking some of the tithes. Or maybe they're looking for the, the prestige and the power that comes from their role as leaders. And they're looking for ways that they can make financial gain from that. But Paul comes against that hypothesis and he says that godliness plus contentment is great gain. It's way above and beyond financial gain. Right? That is insignificant when we learn to be content in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew what he talk, was talking about when he said that contentment <coughs> is incredibly important. And Timothy would have remembered this. He would have, he traveled for many years with Paul, going from one city to another as he proclaimed the gospel. And he may have even heard Paul tell stories that were similar to what Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 4 of Philippians, where he said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul understood contentment, and it was outside of his external circumstances. It didn't matter if he had a, a bunch in his savings account, right? It didn't matter if he was driving a nice car or he knew where his next meal was going to come from. It didn't matter if he was shipwrecked and he was in prison and he was being beaten. He was content because he knew that his hope was not in this world. And his trust was not in the financial provision of this world. And I think that is the, the key point here for tonight. That we cannot put our faith and our hope and our trust in money. And just like these false teachers may have been you know, saying the right things with their lips. They're you know, using godly spiritual language. But Paul could see that their true intent was financial gain. Their true intent was their own selfishness. They were using godliness as a, a, a means to financial gain. And you can't use godliness for something else. Godliness is to get close to God. And if you're using godliness to get to something else, that is what we call idolatry. Mm -hmm. You're not really worshiping Jesus. You're worshiping whatever it is that you can get because of what you say about Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is our hope? Where is our trust? It cannot be in our, you know, current external circumstances, and specifically tonight talking about money. This is a picture of a shipwreck. There's a, a story, maybe some of you know it, but there's a, a hymn by the name, or that's called It Is Well With My Soul. Anybody heard It Is Well With My Soul? It's kind of, yeah. kind of a big hit. And, uh, and so this guy, Horatio Spaford, Thanks, Baffert, maybe? Yeah, no. Sure. Uh, he was a businessman and a Presbyterian in Chicago in the 1800s. 
and he was uh, wealthy. He made a bunch of money in the 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 in the house the housing the retail realtor market. Real real estate. Real estate. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, and so he was doing really well, him and his family. And then his youngest son died of polio. That was very challenging. I cannot imagine what it would be like to, to lose uh, a child. And then to make matters worse, the great Chicago fire comes and burns down all of his real estate. He loses everything. To add insult to injury, now his, one of his, his son is dead and he doesn't have any money. Things are rough for the Spaffords. And so they decide, you know what we need to do? We need to go on vacation. Which seems like a good choice. Just get out of town for a little bit. And so they charter a, a boat to go to, to England on vacation. And But all of a sudden, a business situation comes up. And he's like, you know, I better stay and deal with this. You guys go ahead. I'll follow you there. I'll meet you in England in a couple of days. And... A few days later, a week later, whatever it is, I don't know how fast things happened in the 1800s, he gets a telegram back that there's been a shipwreck, that some other ship had collided with the ship his family was on, and it had sank. Wow. And they had rescued all the survivors they could, and he gets a, a telegram later from his wife, says, I'm safe, but I'm alone. His three or four other children died mm. in the shipwreck. And so, of course, he gets on a boat to head across the, this, the Atlantic Ocean to rejoin his wife. And it said that when the, the boat, excuse me, when the boat got to the, the place where the accident was supposed to have happened, he wrote this hymn. When peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, the Lord has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So Horatio knew something about being content in any situation. Not that this was okay, not that things were good, but he had learned to be content because his hope was not in this world, but in Jesus Christ. And so in the same way, Paul was content, whether he was shipwrecked, or being well-fed. It didn't matter what his situation was. He had learned to be content. And that contentment is learning to have our trust in Jesus Christ, knowing that he is never going to leave us, he's never going to forsake us, and he's never going to let us down. And so Paul concludes this passage in chapter nine, or verse 9 and 10. Those who want to get rich, he's back on the, he's back uh, talking about these uh, false teachers that are lovers of money. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul says, right, when money is removed from the law of Christ-like love. Remember, he said these people are conceited. They are selfish. They are greedy. When money is removed from the law of Christ-like love, it becomes a snare that leads to ruin and destruction. 
And this love of, of money is one of the sickly cravings that pulls us away from the healthy words of Jesus. And we, again, have to remember that we cannot remove our love of money from our relationships and the rest of our lives. It is like yeast that works through a, a lump of dough, right? If it gets in there, it's working through the whole thing. And if we give ourselves to the love of money, it is going to affect our view of God, our view of ourselves, our view of our neighbors. We are going to carry that selfishness, that pride, and that greediness into those relationships as well. And finally, Paul says that the longing for money starts to usurp God and becomes an idol. Right? And don't think that you are the exception to this rule. That your greed or your selfishness will not find you out. If money is our goal, then biblically speaking, destruction and ruin awaits us. That's a heavy way to end it, geez. So let's, let's, there's hope, good news. So how do we practice this law of Christ-like love with our finances, right? How do we practice loving others as, as Christ has loved us? How do we prefer others with our finances as opposed to just using them for our own selfish needs and desires? Number one, we practice generosity. Just do the opposite, all right? So, you know, take $10 out of your bank account. Think you were gonna, $10 that you're going to, you know, go to lunch with or you were you know, going to buy a coffee with or you're going to buy three Star Wars Destiny booster packs from, uh, from Fanfare. They're only $2.99, and so they're practically giving them away. But, um, uh, so, but take this money that you're going to use for somebody else and give it away. Give it away to, to somebody who can't pay you back or you know is not ever going to pay you back. Right? Give it to that guy on the street corner that has the, has the, the sign. They're everywhere, right? Give it away. And when you do that, notice what is going on in your heart. Are you angry? Are you anxious? Are you nervous? Learn to practice generosity. Tithe. That's the other thing that we can do to practice generosity, right? We can, it's this, it's this practical way to put into action this declaration that we're so quick to make with our mouth, God, I trust you with everything. You are the Lord of my life. Well, practicing tithing, giving a proportionate amount of your income every week back to, to God is a great way to break the, the power of the love of money in your life. A few weeks ago, no, it was a few months ago, I forgot to write my tithe check for like two weeks in a row. And so then I had to write a tithe check for three weeks. That's a hard check to write. <laughs> just, just, just send it in every week. It's way easier. But it, as I'm writing this check out, I'm just like, you know what I can do with this? I, I said, you know, I can do this. And I start dreaming and I realize, you know, without my even knowing it, there's still this thing in me that puts trust in my finances. And so I was excited to, to write that check and go, God, I just declare that you are faithful. You are going to take care of us. You know, we may question, you know, how am I going to pay, make the car payment or the house payment? How are we going to pay for those medical bills that seem to keep rolling in? I don't know, God, but I trust you, and you're going to take care of me. And if we do these 
things, it helps us learn contentment. It helps us to remember that life isn't just about us acquiring the nicest car and nicest shoes and the, the newest iPhone or whatever it is, right? There's something more to life than just our possessions. And the second thing you can do is just ask the Lord to show you. God, where has money usurped you as my hope and my trust? Right? Where uh, am I relying on that and just paying lip service to you? Right? We need to ask the Lord to examine our hearts. Actually, as we close, let's just do that right now. All right? So let's just close our eyes. We just go, Father, is there any place in my heart where money has gotten onto the throne? show me how I can practice generosity to break the stranglehold of the love of money. Thank you, God. And I encourage you to take seriously what he said. If he said, start tithing, I encourage you to, to do it. If he, and, you know, and my opinion is that you don't have to start with 10%. To go from nothing to 10% of your gross income is a big jump, right? So start giving 20 bucks a week. Give 10 bucks a week, whatever. It's about this consistent giving to the Lord. And then try to increase that as you see God provide for you and take care of you. Alright, I guess that is that. I'm going to pray. Father God, we love you. You are so faithful. We thank you that you are our hope. You are our trust. Lord, and we thank you that we do not need to fear the, the circumstances of life. Lord, that even as it seems like the ship is going down all around us, we know that we are in your hands. And we look forward to seeing how you will continue to supply our needs and to provide for us. Lord, we trust you. And we just repent for anywhere that we have given in to the love of money. And we say we follow you with our whole hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.